And what I had taught for many years to clients was self-care, right? Self-care, self-care. And um, I taught a lot of students for a while that self-care isn't, you know, go get your nails done, go get your hair done, go climb a mountain. It's also how do you show up in the moment, like being mindful of yourself and your stress and did you eat well? It's, you know, it's not just the external things, it's the internal things. Um, but more recently, I've realized that I what I need more of is more like maybe community care or, mm. you know, like, because sometimes like COVID is, is really what's just made that crystal clear for me is it's not always about I need time away. Sometimes it's I need time with. Welcome to the With Sayada podcast, brought to you by the Centre for Belonging and Understanding. The podcast that brings to you stories of lived experience that you might not otherwise encounter. This is a podcast that encourages you to cultivate belonging and understand others. I'm your host, author and coach Sayada Zaidi, and every episode I'll be asking a new guest to share their story. Today, I am really, really blessed to speak with Dr. Cynthia Whitaker. She's a duly licensed, both as a psychologist and master licensed alcohol and drug counsellor. Dr. Whitaker has worked for the Greater Nashua Mental Health Organization since 2006, and she is currently the president and CEO there. She began her career there as a coordinator of deaf services for the state of New Hampshire and led a program that is dedicated to improving the access and quality of mental health services for people who are deaf in New Hampshire. In addition to her work there, she's also served as an adjunct faculty member at both Antioch University and Riviere University and she's taught on doctoral level courses. Dr. Cynthia is fluent in American Sign Language and continues to be involved in advocating for and providing training about mental health services for individuals who are deaf or hard of hearing. Oh, I, I actually honestly don't know where to begin, um, Dr. Cynthia, because we met maybe just over a year or so ago and I've been in several kind of fairly uh, deep I would and I would regard them as quite intimate conversations with you and I remember back to the first one and I'm sure we were both in tears and I think well I, I certainly was <laughs> and I think it says something for the kind of space that you're able to create and and I think in many respects, that's actually really, really important for the work that you do professionally, but also in the other communities that we meet. So I'm just really, really happy to know you and that you are here um, for this particular podcast. And it's just an absolute honor to be able to have this conversation to you. So welcome. Welcome, Dr. Cynthia. Oh, thank you so much. What a nice introduction, your kind words. Oh, well, I, I mean every one of them. So, and, and every time I, I kind of have a conversation with you, it's always a gift. So I think today it's a, it's a gift that we're sharing with other people. Mm, that's great. That's a good way to think about it. So I'd, I'd love to um, kind of begin by really asking you, how did you get into the work that you do? So, you know, it's, it's an interesting story, actually, kind of becoming a psychologist and deciding to, to start a career of helping people. I think a lot of it stems from just growing up um, with a family with a lot of strong faith. And so we were always um, being taught and surrounded by people who were serving in some kind of way and whatever way that meant to them, whether it was within a church setting or within a community, just of service. And so, you know, when it 
came time and, and I'm in high school and okay, what do I want to do? It was either kind of work with kids and teach or do this thing called psychology. Um, and my uncle um, was a, is a psychologist and he actually tried to convince me not to be one. <laughs> <laughs> and it was in that conversation that I thought, oh, that's precisely why I want to be one. Wow. Because he said things like, well, it's not, it's not glamorous. It's not about, you know, you might not get paid sometimes well, depending on what part you go into. And he was trying to convince me out of it. But he actually convinced me into it because, um, you know, none of those things that he was saying one couldn't have were things that I was really aspiring to um, anyway. So, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting how how it happened that way. But I, I just I've always had a heart for serving people and helping people. And so, I, of course, gravitated toward human services of some kind. Yeah, and, and I think it, it kind of demonstrates itself really in the way that you show up in the world and and how you give. Um so it it's it's clear that it's not just a kind of like a J O B for you, it's just so much more. Um uh, I I also know that kind of, you know, the, the the church and God is really important to you as well. Mm-hmm. And so so how um you know, how does your faith show up in the work that you do? I mean, for me, I think it shows up, you know, it certainly doesn't show up in a way where I'm like talking to people about my beliefs or questioning their beliefs, but how it shows up, I think is just in a genuine compassion for people, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I mean, I, I see myself as somebody who, you know, needs a God is not all powerful, is not all knowing myself and so it allows me to show up um, in a way that uh, you know allows me to be humble when I'm with somebody who maybe needs to feel um, that in themselves, but also in a way that can just be compassionate and suspend judgment with other people. It just it's just it's part of who I am as mm. a person. Mm. It's interesting because I think for me, I mean, you know, like um, it, it's it's very obvious that I, that I am a person of faith. If you meet me mm-hmm. um, and, and I would say I, what I, what I heard from what, how you shared is that it's kind of knowing that there's, there's so much that you can do, but also that it, it's giving the other bit to, you know, the creator, to the universe, to God, whatever language, uh, you know, the listeners want to, to kind of use for that. But just knowing you show up, you do your bit, you be of service, and then actually the other bits are just going to kind of come. Exactly. Like a, a true faith or trust in the process. You know, and for me, that process includes a higher power I call God. Um, yeah. And, you know, for other people, maybe the trust of the process looks different or has different components to it. But I, I think that's kind of what it boils down to is this faith or trust that, you know, things do change things keep going and there's other forces that work that are beyond me mm, mm. And, and I suppose particularly on days that are quite difficult because I imagine you know mm-hmm. you, you have um, a lot of joy in your work but you also have a lot of challenge in your work yeah, it, sure. it must mean that you know when when you lean into your faith personally it kind of helps you to to get through those days Oh, that absolutely. Um, I, you know, I think just as a person with trials, leaning into faith and then with trials just at, at work or hard days, or it's sometimes, sometimes I've often felt like I'm leaning into my faith to hold faith when other people can't hold faith, Mm -hmm. right? Like, or um, other ways we've talked about it is I'll hold the hope until our, our clients or people we're working with can hold it for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And and in, in, in some ways, it's kind of like you, you need to be able to show up in the best way that you can. Mm-hmm. And if one of those ingredients is knowing what your own faith is, then, you know, you've got to make sure that that's there. Otherwise, it's just a little bit of you that's that's kind of missing. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Or or it becomes about me instead of about the other person. And, you know, at this point, I don't do a clinical work myself, but I'm showing up for 
the staff in the organization. But really, it's a parallel process. It's the same exact thing. And if I'm if I'm not connected deeply, if I'm not able to show up as my best self, it becomes more about me than it is about, you know, serving what's best for for the greater good, the collective. Mm-hmm. And you, you, I mean, you you kind of came into a, a pretty huge leadership role um, mm-hmm. in the time that I've known you, and I wonder what has been the biggest gift of leadership that you've received. That's a big question. So, so yeah, it's actually this week, one year that I stepped in um, as the interim CEO and then, you know, five, six months later became officially in the, in the position. Um, I said it the other day, like this year has been a year of exponential growth, like no other. And so to say anything other than growth has been the gift would be wrong in my mind, but you know, how to articulate that in a way um, that's, you know, what, what is that growth? But it's sometimes it's a little bit hard to put words to clearly. I'm having trouble putting words to it. Um, I feel like it's a, maybe a deeper sense of knowing myself. What are my strengths? What are my triggers? Um, and in, and maybe only the past month, two months, of just kind of letting go of like, I'm the leader, I'm the one here and it's okay to lead in the way that's authentic to me um, because that's why I was put in this spot, not to lead like somebody else might lead. I was put in a spot to lead like I lead. Um, And that's taken me a bit, you know, being in that interim and spot and you know wondering if people are like oh, who's you know who's this gal that made her way up through the ranks and um but you know it, it's really been a year of just some significant growth and you know I don't I don't I wouldn't use the word confidence because I was clearly confident mm. in um who I was and who I am before but I think it's just more about letting it show up Mm. Um, better, it, different, you know. Yeah, and it, and it's interesting because my kind of reflection on what you've just shared is that other people trusted you, right? I mean, you know, you go through a process, don't you? Other people trusted you enough to make you interim and then to appoint you as permanent. And maybe it's kind of like you needed to trust yourself. Yeah, you know. And yeah. often I don't, I think we, we, we know other people believe in us, mm-hmm. but it's that point that really makes the difference is that time when you start to believe in yourself. Yeah, exactly. Or not, not worry about mistakes or failures too. I, I think there's a piece of that in there. Like, even if I screw up, which I will, cause I'm a human being, right. Uh, it, it, that's not going to define me, right? I'm in this leadership position because I am a leader and that's what gets to define me. So I don't need to be worried about being perfect or not making this mistake or that mistake because those don't define me as a leader, as a person, as you know, a, a human being. Mm. And, I, and I think actually, like when you put yourself into that place of, um, growth and discomfort and stretch and you allow the vulnerability that says I am going to make mistakes then sometimes what you view as mistakes actually like I've, I've been saying this a lot this week because there's a couple of things that I did which I thought I really really messed up but all it's done is kind of like make the value of my currency much higher and I don't know how else to describe it other than that. So sometimes in the moment, you're just like, what am I doing? And why have they even asked me? And it's just such a struggle, but you see it on the other side. So what so can true. feel like a horrible mistake necessarily isn't. And I, I mean, what you're talking about in my mind is that perspective. And sometimes when we're just in the middle of it, we lose perspective or, and maybe we can't have the perspective because we have to slog through whatever we're doing or, you know, it requires us to just be in it. But then when you step back and you see it differently, you realize, oh, 
maybe that wasn't so bad or, you know, it needed to happen that way or, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah, it's really interesting because, because you know, at the moment I'm writing my thesis and if you're in my world, you know that, that I'm in the last stages of it. And um, Donald Sean in his book, The Reflective Practitioner, he speaks about kind of the difference between reflection in action and reflection on action. Mm. One of the things that I am proposing is that I think there needs to be a space because if you really want to be able to kind of gain that perspective and be able to look back at something and think, okay, this is the full kind of gamut of lessons that I could have learned, it it requires space. It can't be done within that moment. And I'd love to know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that there that's true. I mean, I think it, I think about that in terms of parenting, work, relationships, all over the place, right? When you're when you're in it, you're learning some lessons, but then if you create the space, you can learn different lessons. Um, with that kind of with that perspective, you can look at it differently. But if you never create that space, you might you might still learn something, but you might not learn everything that there was or um, that whole that whole ability to see it differently or from a different different mm. perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And and I, I'd love to ask you, what makes you feel really inspired? Oh, inspiration. You know, inspiration's been a fun, fun word for me lately because I think sometimes when people use the word inspiration, they're talking about just a hmm, like, oh, that was a feel good feeling. And I feel good. I'm I'm inspired. Um, but when I use the word inspired, it's almost like what you were just saying it for me. It's like I was I had that feeling, but then I did something with it. Mm. Right. Like I'm inspired to action like inspired to me is a, an active word um so there are every everything in this world because i'm very just attuned to lots of things going on makes me have that moment of uh just you know that feeling but what truly inspires me to action um is seeing other people grow um like i just finished teaching a summer class and I just love when people are talking about like how they felt about a topic before or after, you know, the class was on community psychology and the idea of the system around us as individuals and how, you know, psychologists need to intervene within the community, not just the individual. And so to, to see, to see that shift in people um, to help that, that inspires me to just, oh, I'll, I'll keep teaching. I'll keep working. I'll keep, I just love to see other people blossom, bloom, learn, grow themselves. Mm. It must be such a gift actually, to be able to kind of train new psychologists and just watch them go, go mm. kind of step into the field. Cause I know for me, I've, I feel as if I'm in this really kind of I've been given an opportunity that's a huge gift in in that I help leaders kind of transition and become coaches and and train them up and and I just look at their journey and I'm only with them for you know a, a year or so and it's just incredible but you know what's the most amazing thing is that they're going through their growth but at the same time my own growth just from observing them and from learning from them is just so exponential. And I think it's funny. They're like, you know, you're here to to support us and teach us. And I'm like, yeah, that's important. But, you know, the bigger gift is mine. <laughs> and just, I mean, and that as a psychologist, I mean, I've, I felt that way working with individuals who are coming for clinical work. Right. And so sometimes the things that helping somebody work through, then there's an aha moment of, oh, maybe I could go a little deeper here myself, right? Not necessarily in the room with that person, yeah. but mental note, right? That reflection kind of in action in that pause. Um, but oh, definitely in terms of the thought of bringing up other psychologists who then can practice maybe better because of what they learn, then helps more people. I mean, it just, 
it's just a ripple effect of giving and receiving that just continues on. Mm-hmm. Mm, absolutely and I, and I really love what you shared about the the kind of thing you know every now and then even in coaching sessions I'll be thinking yeah there's something there for me to work on and mm. you're right it's it's making the mental note and kind of continuing I have a question for you in terms of how do you kind of um you finished a session then how do you kind of like I describe it as decompressing before mm. I go into another one? Then there there must be something that you can share that would have be of huge benefit to to myself and other coaches listening in. So um, one of the classes I used to teach was mindfulness. Um, so teaching students how to use mindfulness with clients. But one of the things I always taught them was, but it starts with your own mindfulness. Um, so like the mindfulness of the therapist is even more important than teaching that, you know, to our clients. And so what, what I would teach them to do is you don't have to like decompress, go for a run, take a walk, take 15 minute break. Sometimes all you need to do is be mindful of the door closing in between the session or, um, one of the things, the way our offices are set up here that I used to do is I would have time to walk from my office to the waiting room where I would pick up a client and then bring them back to my office. And that time in that walk in that pause, I was always trying to set an intention for my time, you know, with that client. Like I'm, so I could show up, like, how am I feeling? What, how am I going to be for that person? And like, so it's just, it, it, it only has to be a minute. It only has to be 30 seconds, you know, like, how do you open the door in between? How do you close the door in between? How do you, you know, set an intention in between? Um, because I mean, a lot of clinical work is back to back to back. Um, and you've got to let go of the one before you embrace the next. But it, it doesn't have to be a big process. It can literally just be the walking in between or you know, what do you do when you cross the door frame, you know? I really, really like that because... Um... It is it, literally saying it, it, it can happen in a second and, yeah. and you're, you're kind of like creating a trigger. So, for example, for me at the moment, I'm I'm, you know, this is the desk that I'm writing my thesis at. And really, you know, I've just got a million books all over. But what is it that takes me into that space between um, coaching or doing a podcast and then being able to write and actually just putting on these headphones? So when I put these headphones on, that's my trigger to say I'm doing a different kind of work. Exactly. It's, you know, it's knowing what that is, because when I didn't have that, I'd sit at my desk and get distracted. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, in the Zoom. Right. So how do you use that? moment of the zoom waiting room right do you feel oh the second somebody's in there you gotta push go or do you in your mind mindfully welcome them in before you're welcoming them in and setting your own intention about how they're gonna be when they come in or how you're gonna be for them to come in I mean it's absolutely about finding some trigger like that the walk down the hallway the close of the door the on of the headphones and just having something along with it that reminds you mm. now this is I'm, I'm with a new person now or I'm doing a new task now mm. and what a gift you've just given to all of us because I I suspect that most people who are listening in when they have uh, virtual meetings they're not thinking about the in, what is their intention in that moment when they're welcoming the other person into the meeting and mm-hmm. that's certainly something that for me is a really rich moment that I'm going to take away and start to practice so so thank you yeah, for sharing that yeah I, you, know, you asked the question <laughs> <laughs> you gave such a great tip so so this is another area where I'm looking for some advice like uh, what works for you when you want to increase your levels of energy because you know you, you strike me as someone who goes all in in the work that you're doing and you know energetically it requires a lot and the days are long and all of these other things and I know you know you, you're really really good in kind of like carving that time away and at the weekends and things but in the in the working week, let's say, mm-hmm. what is it that you are able to do to kind of really increase your energy when you need it? 
So some is, it's just the way I'm made. Um, I have always had a lot of energy. I've always been somebody that can just be in. Um, and I think I've cultivated that with the mindfulness, um, you know, around, I mean, whatever I'm in, I'm in where, whatever I am, I am. Um, you know, I think when I found myself most distracted, like certainly when all this COVID stuff began and thinking about, you know, now I got another place to check and zoom and this, um, I was more distracted than I think I've ever been. And, and it actually drained my energy in a way I hadn't experienced before. Um, so when I'm trying to do too many tasks at once, mm. it drains my energy more than if I just sit, like really mindfully focus on the one thing I'm trying to do best. I mean, it's clearly I'm not always great at it because there's always distractions um, going on, but it, it is what helps. Um, being distracted and trying to keep track of multiple things is, drains more energy. Mm. I think I think it, it, your your brain crashes when you try and multitask, and and I'm sure that there is some research there that speaks about that and the energetic drain that it then takes to kind of you know go back to task, and so. Uh, at the you know there's so much expectation that because we're sitting at our desks and now you know you're working from home or working from you know you're not mm-hmm. having to travel and things you can produce so much more but really what I've found is that people think they can multitask and it's just not working you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I, I and I'm really really against the idea of multitasking I just mm-hmm. think things take a lot longer so maybe that's what you're also saying is just one thing at a time, focus on it and just work on getting it done. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Cause I, I do, I, I find, and, and I've been somebody that people will say, wow, you can multitask so well, or like um, I'll take notes during a meeting and other people see that as multitasking because I think they become focused on taking the notes. Right. And thinking it's a different thing. And getting it exactly right. But for me, taking notes in a meeting is not multitasking because it requires of me to really focus on the meeting. Yeah. Right. And, and I'm not like checking my spelling and fixing all that kind of stuff. Right. I'm not focused on it. Um, but I but the, even though, quote unquote, I'm good at it or, you know, I do it well, it's it's an energy drain when you do it because you're trying to focus on too many things at once. Yeah, absolutely. And and I and I also um kind of experienced that thing about the taking of the notes because um and what I realize is that actually when I'm doing it, I'm taking the notes just as much for my memory and for mm-hmm. my recollection so that when I want to come back to something, I have good notes rather than just one word. <laughs> <laughs> or I've forgotten exactly what was said and and then interpret incorrectly and, and mm-hmm. that can often happen as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um kind of somewhat related to to this piece on energy and and you know workload and bits like that. Um what's your go-to technique for managing stress? Mm-hmm. So the the old me <laughs> And what I had taught for many years to clients was self-care, right? Self-care, self-care. And um, I taught a lot of students for a while that self-care isn't, you know, go get your nails done, go get your hair done, go climb a mountain. It's also how do you show up in the moment, like being mindful of yourself and your stress and did you eat well? It's, you know, it's not just the external things, it's the internal things. Um, But more recently, I've realized that I what I need more of is more like maybe community care or, mm. you know, like because sometimes like COVID is, is really what's just made that crystal clear for me is it's not always about I need time away. Sometimes it's I need time with mm. um, to manage my stress. And so we've been really more mindful about connecting with certain people more and making sure um, I'm surrounded by people that I know are uplifting and um, elevating me rather than always that 
like people that won't let me stay in the suck, right? That are going to say, all right, what next? Instead of, oh yeah, that's terrible. Like, I don't want to stay there. So if I'm stressed, um, for me, it's really about connecting to somebody um, mm. now more than ever. And and I would not have said that two years ago. Mm. Do you um, think naturally you're kind of um, extroverted or introverted? Oh, yeah. or? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> I am definitely extroverted. Yeah, it's interesting because I was thinking when I was listening to you speaking about community, I was thinking, you, you know, that that is um, how my daughter would speak, for example, and she's very, very extroverted. And it's kind of like, you know, you need um, to be with people. And I found interestingly because I'm very introverted and mm. I and I and I'm very comfortable in my own time, in my own space and things. But I would also agree with you in what you said about community, because for me, especially through the pandemic, if if I spend too much time by myself without human interaction, that's not the people that I live with. Actually, you can end up going in a really dark place that's not good. And once you're there and you've opened the door to it, sometimes it can become really hard to come out of that. Mm-hmm. And having good community online in person whichever one you know is the thing that I think can help to give you the support that you need because like I mean you know we've we've met online we've met a number of times but we haven't met in person and yet I know there's been a few kind of like you know conversations that we've had on Facebook or whatever and it's just been like yeah you're there for me and it's it's that simple yeah exactly yeah I think there's there's something to it even even if you're an introvert even if you are somebody that likes alone time and I, I actually I could also be just as happy alone sometimes as long as I know there's somebody there when I need them. Um, there, we weren't made to be alone, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, I mean, we're connected to an earth that's, you know, it's like the land and the water are connected. The land and the air are connected, you know, like things are in processes together. We're, we're made for connection. And what that looks like, I think for each of us is maybe a little bit different. Um, but I mean, we're, we're, we're wired for it. I agree. And I, I also think there's actually something quite spiritual about it, about what mm-hmm. you've just said in terms of connection. Um, because uh, there's a, there's a story of, of somebody who was uh, really, really pious and kind of like, you know, lived in the mountain somewhere and never had any interactions with any human being. And he was asked, well, why are you doing that? And he was like, well, because then I don't sin. And I just think, mm-hmm. you know, like you've got to push yourself to that kind of extreme. Um, but we're human beings and the isolation cannot be healthy, you know, yeah. and I would much rather be in a situation where I'm tested every single day and have human interaction with people than be in a place where I'm by myself and just don't have that. Well, it, because I also think about how do you learn and grow if you're only by yourself? Yeah. Right. I mean, you can read a book, but then how do you, how do you process it or how do you test it out? Or um, how do you test maybe even the lies you're telling yourself? Um, if you don't have others to do that with. Interestingly, I just was having a conversation earlier with Mo McKenna, um, who you might know of, and she's she's into this word explorer right now. Mm. Um, but an aspect of being an explorer isn't just to explore to learn as an individual, it's to explore to share that knowledge with other people. And I, that's it, right? Like yeah. we're, I can't, I can learn more in those interactions, just like what we were saying about like, I learn just as much from teaching as I'm teaching. Um, because yeah. in that learning, there's, there's just giving and growing in that interaction. So yeah, for, for me, it's a stress release to, to be with other people, to mm. laugh. Oh, we've, we've got a great uh, couple family uh, that we every time we're together we just laugh um and that just is such a stress release for me mm, 
Mm. And and you mentioned Mo uh, Mo McKenna, and um, and I agree with you completely about her kind of work that she's doing now mm-hmm. about going from Noah to Explorer, and mm-hmm. she is a guest on the podcast, and uh, the link to that one will be in the show notes, and I, oh, and excellent. it's just. I can't wait to kind of share some of that stuff because the concept, I I mean, I I think for me, a visceral level is really, really quite powerful because it's like when you're an explorer and you're on an adventure and all of the kind of, you know, the language that's around that, it just makes the the experience of life just much more interesting, right? Mm -hmm, (laughs) Right. You're, you're not learning just to, for the sake of learn, but you're learning in an adventure and yeah. 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 Oh, I I can't wait to hear that podcast myself. Yeah, That's thank you. Great. Thank you. And 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 I think the other thing about that is like I mean because I'm so much in my head at the moment in terms of the research. Like I read a paper and and honestly today I just read something and it I it was like I had to crash because I got so excited and I went downstairs and my poor husband I was like you know and I'm learning this and it's saying this and it's saying this but imagine what it would be like if I didn't have someone to share that with exactly you know and it it removes the richness of that opportunity to be able to learn for yourself and grow with others yeah and and you know and sadly and this is a lot of the work we end up doing with a lot of individuals is that you know our our fear of how other people might respond prevents us from doing that you know it prevents us from having that excitement of sharing because we're oh, maybe afraid something we're like, well, duh, didn't you know that already? Or, you know, like whatever they might say, it's like, oh, but, you know, that that fear just robs us of so many life-giving experiences. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting because you're speaking about fear and, and I, in my head, I'm also connecting it to the fear of fun because you mentioned about laughter a couple of minutes ago. And so there is this thing, isn't there, that we're scared to enjoy our lives we're scared to have fun we're scared to share our vulnerability and I I wonder like what's your advice on for somebody who is feeling just you know a a little bit of fear comes into their lives every now and then and it's stopping them from um, making decisions that will help them to move forward what what what's the first kind of step that they could take I don't know if it's the first, but what what jumped into my head is the the question of so what, but not in a dismissive, well, so what meant kind of way, but in a hmm, so what kind of way. Um, Like, you know, we always used to talk about, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? But sometimes that's not a good question to ask, right? Like, okay, so I'm afraid of this thing, or what if this? Well, so what? So what if that? Tell me more, you know, so what if that? And, and often you get to this place of realizing, oh, no, nah, you know, no big deal. Or, you know, this thing I'm afraid of, actually the likelihood of it happening is slim to none. So why am I giving this fear oxygen and letting it, you know, take over when it really shouldn't, right? Or the likelihood it's going to happen, it's just so slim to none. I mean, for me, it does, though, start with recognizing I've got that fear Mm -hmm. Um, because I think sometimes so many of us just assume it's normal and glance right over it and just believe it and keep moving on instead of, Oh, wait, I'm thinking this thing where I'm feeling this thing. Let me ask questions of it. Let me observe that I'm feeling of it. And, you know, does it serve me in this moment? Like, so what, so what's going on here? Like, um, that that inquiry into self, um, mm. it's, and that, it's just it's important. Yeah, absolutely. And and as you're describing that, I'm I was going to ask you what's the last fear that you had, and how did you respond to that? But I'm going to share mine first, if if you'll allow me, because this is a big lesson for everybody that's listening, in that you know, I've spoken about wanting to do this podcast for God knows how many years. And I always thought, oh, you know, I've got nothing to say. I, if I, if I ask that person, if I ask Dr. Cynthia, will she be on my podcast? She's going to say, no, I'm too busy. I can't fit it in. And you know, what's really amazing is just that kind of like the, the, the letting go of that fear Mm -hmm. and 
putting yourself into that place where you've, for me, I had to make some decisions, write an email, ask people for some help, and then just kind of like go. And there is something kind of like um, about just having a bit of confidence and knowing that that fear is still there, but just mm-hmm. working through it. And it's incredible. Like so far, I don't think I've actually had anyone say no. I've had a few people say not right now because I'm busy, but I haven't had anyone say no. And that is the answer to finally overcoming fear that has been building up for five years. And I'm like, well, why didn't I just do it before? (laughs) And I think like there's a, a huge lesson in that. You know, we always say things like, if you avoid the thing you fear, the fear grows. If you just step into it and try it, sometimes you realize, oh, you know, or the fear just goes down, but it might still be there. Mm-hmm. But if you step into it, it doesn't it doesn't give it the opportunity to keep growing mm-hmm. um, because the more you avoid. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, a fake fear anyway. Right. And it never right, existed, exactly. but you just made it up in your head. Right. And so you keep avoiding it. You don't test it out. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah for, for me, I mean, clearly, you know, we or we talked about already stepping into this huge role. Right. So definitely fear of failure has been a thing, um, a huge thing. And, and in some ways it hindered me, especially when I was in the interim space right? Well, this is like the test drive of, are they going to let me do the real thing uh, of showing up the best that I could? Cause I was like, so afraid to, to make a mistake or do something wrong um, that I didn't do some of the things I knew needed to be done um, Mm. right out of the gate. And, you know, now kind of flash forward, you know, I've been in the, the role officially seven ish months, something like that. And now I'm kind of like, no, I'm the leader. It, it's my job to do this, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and so what if a mistake gets made, right? So what, you know, it, it'll be what it is. We'll figure it out. And, you know, if it sends the journey in another direction, so be it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, ca- I can't let it stop me from, from showing up. Mm. And I just have to say, like, you know, I, I see that you are really glowing in the role. Like, I mean, of course, there's going to be times of stress and challenge and all of that other stuff. But actually, just when I when I see you um, in meetings in, and in conversations, there's just this kind of like air of peace. Mm. And that to me demonstrates that, you know, it, it feels to me as if you are doing the work that you were born to do mm-hmm. in the profession that you love. Exactly. You know. Yeah, I think when you when you find that thing, whether you feel called to it or born to it or made for it, you know, whatever terminology somebody would prefer to use, it just you feel it. You're like some days I'm like I feel like I'm in the flow state, as they say, mm-hmm. like all day long, <laughs> just going about life doing my thing, even though it's tremendously stressful sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. And, and, you know, such a gift for the people that you're working with as well, that you're their leader. I'm just going to put that in. <laughs> let, well, let me, one, can, one can only hope. One can only hope. No, you know, you know I, I think there's, there is this piece about, um, there's a humbleness that comes from um, watching well, hold on. Let me let me let me be careful about how I say this, and let me be mindful as well. When I watch leaders operating, I can tell when somebody is acting within their area of strength, or when someone's been put into that role, and you know, like the vulnerability and the nervousness and the fear are actually genuine, rather than mm-hmm. kind of like you know us talking about these things and making them up in our heads. And so when I, when I say that to you about kind of, you know, they're lucky, I really mean it because there, there, there has to be this kind of um, subconscious 
confidence that you know what you're doing because you've walked the walk, right? You've done your years to be able to get into this place. And and that demonstrates itself in that kind of calm, quiet confidence and aura that you put even across this kind of like Zoom screen. Mm. You know. That's so sweet. No, you it's it's the truth. It's the <laughs> truth. Oh, so, so you're welcome. So let me ask you, what does um flourishing and thriving mean for you personally? I, I think we've touched on it quite a bit. Like I because I think we we flourish and we thrive best when we're doing what's aligned for ourselves. And you know, I think I don't know that that means, you know, like, oh, I was made for this. That means everything I did prior to now was I wasn't made for like, well, no, because I needed to do those things to be prepared for this. And because I do think sometimes there is a, a misconception of. Well, if, if I'm where I'm supposed to be now, then how, maybe what if I have to go somewhere different, like. There's, mm-hmm. there's a made for today and there's a made for tomorrow. And for some people, those might be different. And for other people, maybe they're exactly the same and there is longevity somewhere. So anyway, I digress. But for me, that's, you know, it is about thriving and flourishing is being honest with oneself about, am I in the place where I'm meant to thrive and flourish? And if I feel like I am, but I'm not flourishing or thriving, well, what's what's getting in my way, what, what's preventing me from doing that. And maybe it's one of those internal stories or, you know, maybe it's just something I'm going to grow through and learn through. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it really, to me, means just showing up the best way I can every single day um, with a smile and positive energy. Because um, if you're thriving and flourishing, you can't be complaining. Mm. right because mm. you know um I don't remember who said it to me I can't remember but somebody said complaining is praying for the very things you don't want that's so good and so like that has stuck with me and so you know it's kind of like okay so if I'm thriving I'm not complaining because I'm not inviting those things I don't want into my life mm. um so how do I like live by that rule of, all right, I'll complain or get uh, for five minutes and then I'm moving on. Sometimes, you know, the five minutes peaks up again and I got to remind myself, no, 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 you've let that go. Um, but that's, that's what it means for me. Like it's, it's about being okay with what's going on and whatever comes and what do I learn from it and not complain about it. Mm. And and there is something really powerful about what you shared in that, like, you know, um, the things that, that are front and center of our mind are the things that we kind of like curate. Mm-hmm. You know? And so there is that phrase, isn't there? Like, like where your um, the thoughts that you have is where your energy goes and then they kind of become your reality. Right. And, and really what you're saying is think about, where you are focusing your energy and the words that you're using with yourself and, and Mm -hmm. where you're directing your mind and your emotions. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and none of us are going to do it perfectly ever. Mm -hmm. I mean, clearly, um, you know, I've been telling people about the real tough two weeks I've had. um, And I caught myself lots of times telling myself lies. Um, But it's about noticing them and then saying, wait, well, well, you know, here I go again. Oh, or, you know, there's, mm-hmm. this is a, this is a sensitive thing. I need to be mindful. Am I carrying a lie into it with me? You know? Um, yeah. And, yeah. And it's really interesting as well. Cause like for me, some of the research that I'm re- reading actually is really quite challenging because it's speaking about, you know, um, systemic racism it's speaking about identity issues and intersectionality and all of that and then when I look at what's happening in the wider world it it can be quite overwhelming and I realized a few weeks ago that I would I started to get angry and I just kind of the minute I realized it I thought you know what I have to step away from this stuff to to unpack some of what is going on so that I can come back to it and and not look at the material I'm reading through that lens 
of irritation and anger because that is not going to help me in any mm-hmm. way. And so um, what, what I heard in what you're saying is like recognize what is going on for you. And then if you need to pause or if you need to do something different to um, take care of yourself and do that so that you can come back in. Otherwise, I know for me, I can very easily become somebody that I do not like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't mm-hmm. want anyone to see that, even me. <laughs> Agreed. I've been there in the past few weeks. <laughs> right. But but it's the acknowledgement of that and the realization exactly. and look, saying, look, this is this is what happens when in the lead up to it and this is how I deal with it so that I can come out the other side and like not staying there right mm-hmm. you know and the, the one thing I would add is realizing we have a choice mm. right I think so many times we feel justified in our reaction I mean some of the stuff that's you know happened recently you know I mean I had people tell me oh you better go home and drink tonight or this or blah 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 and it's like like a I'm justified in being cranky and complaining. And well, no, I, I actually have a choice about whether I respond in that cranky complaining way or whether I say, okay, this is hard. And now what, you know, um, I think we forget that sometimes. And I really love that because it's that you're kind of saying the, the piece of this is hard and so what, and now what is just yeah. so significant because uh, you, the choice that I think we also have is the choice to run away and to exactly. not do that work. And if you don't do it, then who else is going to fill that void? Nobody. You know, exactly. And then it's it's even worse. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm a, a huge advocate for, for therapy and for coaching and support and all of these things. And the reason I say that is because there, there is a time and a space that I think we all need to unpack some of those things. So the way that I'm describing, like I, I can get irritated by things that I read. I also know I've kind of put together um, a, a package in some ways of things that I do to help me come out of that. And I couldn't have done that had I not been, oops, had I not been on that journey of growth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I advocate for anyone who's listening and thinking, OK, how do you come out of anger or how do you deal with complex situations? Because there is help out there and mm-hmm. it is really, really important to kind of um, access that. It's funny you mentioned coaching. So like I'm a psychologist, right? So clearly therapy is the thing I'm trained and taught to do. And sometimes people will say, well, what's the difference, right, between coaching and therapy and what I do as a psychologist? And, and I, will, I will completely admit, like, a dozen years ago or so, definitely, when coaching started to be a thing, I was like, what? come on, you know, you're not trained as a psychologist. Come on, you know. But what I've learned is there, there's a huge difference in that coaching is to help a healthy person be healthier. Right. And to understand just some of the things like you and I've been talking about that are human nature, like that we all have a fear of rejection. We all have a fear of failure. And so to have a coach to help you talk through that makes sense. But when you need the therapy or the counseling is more there's something that's truly unhealthy that I need to get healthier. Um, you know, and maybe that's because of a, a trauma or a depression or, you know, something just not quite right in the way um, my brain is working. And and I've really learned to appreciate both of those more recently. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think for me, there's such an, um, uh, an important distinction that you've shared there because in my own practice as a coach and I'm very clear about where my boundaries are and the things that I can help with and the things that I can't and I've I've you know every now and then I'll say to a client well you know this is what's coming up it's a theme that's come up a number of times I think you should go and have therapy or go and work on that before mm-hmm. you come back and it's a bold thing to say right yeah. but at the same time 
why would I play with somebody's life if I don't have the skill sets? And and it's important to kind of, and this is a real message actually to, to all coaches out there who are listening, that you've been trained in a particular, particular area of expertise, focusing on that one. You know, it's like... I'm an architect by training as well. I'm not going to pretend that I'm an engineer. You know, it's just not going to work. You need both. (laughs) You need both. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And I've really come to appreciate that because, I mean, certainly, especially psychologists, um, we're often trained to be like, oh, you know, you in this with this training, you can do this, 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 this or this, because it really is about understanding, you know, the human and how how humans act and think, right? That's what psychology is about. But it, it's also like, well, why why would I do the thing that other people can do? Why mm. why wouldn't I focus on the things that only I can do? But, but I get what what happens is a lot of counselors who are trained as counselors end up as coaching or in coaching because you know the work with people who are unhealthy that need to get healthy is much different than to help the healthy be the best them they can be. Um, you know, so anyway, it's yeah, an interesting it, conversation. It certainly is. And interestingly, actually, I, I also know a couple of psychologists who are trained in coaching, but they themselves create a very clear boundary between their yeah. therapy practice and their coaching practice. You have to. You know, yeah, because otherwise it just, I mean, can you just imagine it would become messy, not just for the client, but also for you professionally? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So important. Absolutely. Um, let me ask you, what um, advice would your 16-year-old self give to you if they saw you now? my 16 year old self my 16 year old self was had already been dating my husband for three years keep in mind um because he and I started dating when I was 13 um I'm gonna just take a side track how long have you been married that's amazing so we we will be celebrating 30 33 years together this summer, I think it is. Oh, my Lord. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, so, yeah, 16. Like, I'm, I'm already in, you know, in the relationship I'm still in. So that might be a little different from what other people who are listening might ex- have experienced. Um, so, and my 16-year-old self was graduating from high school. And wow. in about the third college, we're in college. Um so, you know, when I think about, think about it, for me, it's all about the trust, the process, like the whole, see, I told you'd be okay. See, I knew you'd get to the other side of that hard thing. Um, you know, you're still together. Why did you worry about all that silliness or, you know, stuff like that? I, I really think that's, that's it. It's like the, the trust, the process, the everything shakes out the way it's meant to shake out. And if, you know, if you're on the road and you take the exit, you get back on, well, Hey, you got to enjoy a little scenery on the way. Right. That's amazing. That is. And like, I can't believe I didn't ask you for any marriage tips in this whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) And, And trust the process is just so true. I think you know what it, cause it's a phrase that I heard so many times and I say, but what's coming to me right now is that that it's trusting the process and also knowing what the process is for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's mm. yeah. Because you have to know, you know, in in New Hampshire here where I am, we've got like two major highways, and one kind of goes north south, and the other one goes off into you know another direction into another state. And you know, I always say you have to know which highway you're supposed to be on first. Right. And then if you take an exit off that highway and you get back on, who cares? But if you were on the wrong highway to start, ooh, you know, so you got to trust the process on the highway. You'll eventually get there. But yeah, there is some have to know or some foundation of Mm. trusting self first or, you know, or trusting God or whatever that might be for someone. Mm. Uh, to be on the right road first 
Absolutely, absolutely. What um, are you reading or listening or, or watching at the moment? Uh, everything leadership. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm reading three books at once all the time. Um, jeepers, one of the things I've most been kind of engrossed in, and it's because of an, an opportunity we had to meet um, with Jeff Drowski, was just all of this stuff on synchronicity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've always been a person who kind of believed things will happen at the right time, never early, never late. Um, is one of the things I kept kept telling myself in these couple past hard weeks. Um, but to read it in somebody writing it in kind of a more scientific, researched way has has kind of been fascinating for me over the last uh, last few months. Mm-hmm. And, and what book in particular are you reading? Uh, the Synchronicity. Um, yeah. Um, Excellent. And that's a, that's yeah. a really, really good one. It's an oldie, but it's very good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, deser- it, deserves, it deserves a reread too, I would say. Because um, mm. I was exposed to it early when it first came out, but to like so many books like that are firming, like, what you you hear or you read what you need in the moment and so sometimes if you read it again you learn something uh, completely different mm. and, and and I think as well like I mean I, I've been watching um uh, Ted Lasso uh, mm. the, it's it's my kind of like um my rest between uh, my mm-hmm. thesis and um I'm watching some of the episodes again because you miss lessons. Mm-hmm. You know, so just going back and repeating something actually is really, really quite powerful. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing that. Um, what are you watching and uh, what are you listening to? <laughs> uh, I listen to anything and everything when it comes to music. Um, but when it comes to podcasts or things like that, uh, you know, I'm all over the place. I, for some reason, uh, I had been listening to Christopher Lockhead like long ago. And then I stopped listening to him. And then there was one podcast he had recently. And then I, I haven't stopped again since that one. I don't, there was just one that caught my eye and I haven't stopped since. Um, so that got a resurgence in me. And then there is a there is a Christian pastor um, by the name of Craig Groeschel. He's, um, it was a big mega church and he does a, um, a leadership podcast mm. um, in addition to his church um, stuff. They, they also have a podcast about his sermons and things, but he's got a great leadership podcast that really resonates with me because it, you know, it talks about the role of faith and trust and, you know, leader it, and how that shows up for leaders. So I, I love that one too. Yeah, I love that. And and I have so much time and respect for Christopher Lockhead, honestly, like, because yeah, for me, just getting clarity on some of the things that I'm working on and just the simplicity of the language that he uses, it can just take you from like years of confusion to clarity within a few seconds. Yeah, I can't remember. There was, I can't remember what the, the podcast was that sunk me back into him again. But yeah, it's, if you it's remember, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah, I'll let you know if I remember. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was um, a few podcasts ago, but. Yeah, I, I, I've been listening to his stuff. So if I was to try and remember, I couldn't myself, but um, mm-hmm. but we'll add it back in. Um, uh, I And like, finally, I'd love to know, you know, what advice do you have for me? I feel like I can't give you advice. Isn't that funny? You, my advice to you is to just keep being you, my, you, ah, I mean, you started us off with, uh, you know, we get together and we cry. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I think that's because of just how, um, authentic you show up in the world. So I don't feel like I have much advice except to just keep doing it. Um, because I'm so grateful you're doing this podcast because I love the fact that more people are going to get the benefit of of hearing from you and seeing your light. So more fuzzies back at you. Oh, thank you. And for me, it's just such a wonderful opportunity to to be able to, you know, shine the light on the stories and um, the, the experience of people that I really like. It's like, you know... My, someone asked me the other day what's the criteria for selecting people to interview and I said 
I like them. <laughs> it's like, it's like it. you know, it's like there's no rocket science around it because there's actually a really eclectic range of people that I'm speaking to. And some people mm-hmm. are very well known. Some people are like, you know, nobody knows them apart from me and their family, but they're just really, really amazing. And and that's the key thing, because I think we need these stories. We really yeah. need to hear about people's lived experience in order to be able to kind of form deeper connections. And I think some of the change that I would like to advocate for in the world will only come when we connect with people on a one-to-one. Yeah, I, I, I love that because I think answers and thoughts and creativity can come from anywhere. You know, sometimes the leaders are the ones that have to make the decisions, but, you know, the great ideas, I mean, they live in all of us. So, you know, why not bring as many people as as you can in differences? Because different people will learn from different things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, just one thing that's really coming to my mind as you were speaking about leadership is sometimes the biggest act of leadership is allowing yourself to be led by someone else, mm-hmm. you know? And so we, we, I see lots of people who, whose literal decision to be a leader has been to step back and say, you know what, you're the best person for this. And mm-hmm. then to go in and support them. Mm-hmm. I think some of the most powerful words a leader can give somebody is I trust you to, to, to do this. Mm. Um, and how infrequently leaders say those things, mm. you know, because yeah. yeah, people, are, there's plenty of people I trust to do lots of things and because they can do it better than I can. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's really about creating that village. And I mean, we, gosh, we could, we could have an, a whole other conversation about leadership and, and how to cultivate leadership and things. And, and hopefully we will do that one day. But for now, honestly, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing so many bits of wisdom uh, within this podcast. It's one that I'm going to go back to and listen to several times just to kind of really get that depth of um uh, reflection that I think it deserves. So thank you so much, Dr. Cynthia. It's a real oh, pleasure. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've, I've enjoyed speaking with you. If you enjoyed this episode of With Sayada, I'd appreciate it if you could rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people find out about the podcast and the work of the Centre for Belonging and Understanding.